Hey, everybody, welcome to another episode of the High School Hamster Wheel Podcast. I'm your host, Betsy Jewell. You may have noticed that I've published several episodes lately having to do with college admissions. If you're a loyal listener, I hope you know by now that I have nothing against college, but my goal with this podcast is to help parents guide their teens as they explore all paths through and beyond high school, whether that includes college or not. This week's episode is one that I knew I had to share with you. My guest today is Christina Dooley. Christina is a certified educational planner and founder of Estrella Consulting, an Ohio-based independent educational consulting firm. She has more than 20 years of experience working with students from around the world, navigating the complex college and school search processes. In this episode, we're talking about colleges that change lives. You may already be familiar with the book with the same title and or the website. It's a pretty cool group of colleges that are definitely worth investigating. Most of them are smaller, private liberal arts schools, but please don't let that deter you from at least taking a look. They made the list for a reason, and you just never know which college may turn out to be the best fit for your child. During our conversation, Christina shares valuable advice for parents about the right time to have the financial discussion with your college-bound kids, why you should view colleges like you would a hospital, and two important questions you should be asking colleges that your teen is considering before they make a decision. I'm a huge fan of the Colleges That Change Lives book and website, and this conversation with Christina really inspired me to encourage my kids to take a closer look at these schools. There's so much great information in this episode, so let's get started. Hi, Christina. Thank you so much for being here today on the High School Hamster Wheel Podcast. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to be here with you. This is a conversation that is super timely for a lot of people, um, me included, as we talk about college admissions. And, you know, when I started this podcast, I wasn't anti-college and I'm still not anti-college, but I didn't focus a lot on college because it was all about the high school hamster wheel. But as I have a, a junior in high school now and he's starting the college process, it's become our life. And I know a lot of parents who are at this point. So I think these conversations are super helpful. Um, but before we get started, because I have lots of questions, um, why don't you just take a minute and introduce yourself to my audience, just a little bit about who you are and what you do. Sure thing, Betsy. Well, thanks for having me. Like I said, um, my name is Christina Dooley. I am an independent educational consultant. Uh, I work with students from around the world, but my original, uh, I guess my uh, original entree into working independently with students actually started uh, more than 20 years ago. I started my career working in higher education as a college admission counselor at my alma mater. And so through that experience, I realized very quickly that I I actually really enjoyed the process of working with teenagers, which I still, I think my husband is still confused by that concept today. Uh, but I worked uh, for a handful of years in, in higher education. And then I actually moved to the school side and I worked as the director of admission at a boarding school here in Ohio where I'm based. And I was also one of the school-based counselors for just a bit. And my experience in both of those roles made me realize that I really wanted to support students who were navigating this process from all walks of life and also with all kinds of interests and um, academic abilities, um, athletic interests, arts interests. And uh, so I became an independent consultant in 2008 and, and haven't turned back. And so that's, that's a little bit about me. And right now I'm uh, serving as the president of the Independent Educational Consultants Association, which is uh, an association for people who do what I do. Fantastic. The work that you do is so needed and so important, especially now. I mean, the college admissions landscape has become, you know, probably better than anybody. I don't want to call it a circus, but it's turned upside down on his head. And kids are struggling to figure out what to do, where to go, how to get there, college-wise and otherwise, right? But um, can we go back a little bit into your history? Because I know you mentioned to me that you're first-gen college, right, for mm -hmm. your family. Yep. That's right. So. What was your high school experience like? Did you know you were going to go to college or were you just kind of like 
waiting to see what happened? That's a great question. I I think I always knew that I would would go to college. I wasn't sure exactly what that looked like. Um, it wasn't something that was discussed as an option, I guess, in in the way that and what I mean by that, it was was never ever discussed as an optional thing. <laughs> it was just kind of you know when you go to college, this is what you'll do. And uh, I grew up in a suburb of Cleveland. I went to a very large uh, urban public high school. And we had four school counselors in my school building. And my, my class had over 500 kids for, for one school counselor, essentially. And I was really fortunate that I had an advisor in my school that would come once a week from an organization, a college access organization in Cleveland called College Now Greater Cleveland. And that person happened to work in the office on the same days that I was an office runner during my study hall. And so just by chance, I got to know her really well. And uh, I wasn't there to meet with her to talk about college, but that's what we ended up doing. And so um, through those conversations, I I did get some really good support in the process, which was wonderful and and not necessarily the case for a lot of my peers. Uh, So I feel really fortunate that I was able to do that and and go on to college. But my, my actual college search was not not very vast. I mean, it was really, I think at that point, most people were just handed the, I called the, you know, the big book of colleges is always what I refer to the the fist guide to colleges, but we just called it the big book of colleges. Uh, and students would look for the major that they wanted to, you know, thought they wanted to study and then maybe the location and then uh, whatever page you landed on, those were the schools that maybe you considered. Uh, and so I would say that that was very similar to my initial start of my college search. But this this advisor from College Now Greater Cleveland, uh, which was called Cleveland Scholarship Program at the time, she actually recommended I look at not just my large state institutions, which was what I was doing at the time, because that's where everyone was looking when I when I was starting this process. She said, why don't you look at some smaller schools? Why don't you look at this and look at this? And so I took her up on it and I humored her and looked at a couple of schools. I visited all of three schools during my college search, which is like unheard of now. And um, so, yeah, so that was, that was my experience. And it's true now, I think of the kids I know who have gone to college and are looking at colleges, it is, it's all about the big schools and the names and what everybody knows, but there's a little secret that isn't so much of a secret anymore. And and I've heard it mentioned. In fact, one of my previous guests mentioned it in another episode, Colleges That Change Lives. And you have a lot to say about that. And I've, I don't have the book. I wish they were still printing the book because I'm such a book person. I know they have a website, but um, there's just so much great information and so many great schools that are part of this list. And and I love that you not only attended one, but worked at one and have a lot of information on that topic. So let's talk about that. Yeah. Um, so first of all, for those who probably aren't aware, can you explain kind of what Colleges That Change Lives is about and how it got started and all that? Sure. I'm happy to. And um, I, I love the whole concept of the Colleges That Change Lives Um book and now it's an organization actually. So the the book was actually written in 1996, the first edition of it. It It's written by a man named Lauren Pope, who was uh, the former education editor at the New York Times. And he also, interestingly enough, was an independent college counselor like I am. And so Lauren Pope, essentially what he did was, um, as, as someone who was really interested in higher education, he thought that there should be some recognition of schools that didn't necessarily have that name brand uh, that a lot of our our larger schools or the IVs, more selective schools would have. And so he actually began, he wrote an initial book called Looking Beyond the Ivy League. And I think that book generated enough buzz that he got interested in, in writing the second book, which was called Colleges That Change Lives. And essentially what he did was he visited colleges around the country, um, which is something that a lot of us do as college counselors. We go and visit schools. And he visited schools and he he didn't necessarily let them know that he was working on a book. And what he did was from all the schools that he was visiting, he narrowed down this, this massive list of great places to 40 colleges that he thought offered something that was unique, something that people should really know about. And he put them into a book called Colleges That Change Lives. And so in that a first edition, there, there were 40 schools. And over time, um, an organization, actually just a few years after the first book was published, there was an organization that was created um, based on that book. And 
representatives from each of those 40 schools actually had the opportunity to travel around the country together, um, almost like a caravan to different cities and do college fairs. And if you're familiar with college fairs, a lot of times there are hundreds of colleges, you know, in a high school gymnasium or something like that. And kids kind of just walk around and uh, at the time they'd maybe fill out inquiry cards or whatever, but these fairs, and I can speak to this um, actually as a, from a firsthand experience, because I was really fortunate that you meant, you know, you mentioned I worked at uh a college that changes lives. And that was my alma mater, Hiram College here in Ohio. And because I was the greenest admission counselor, I was kind of assigned to be the colleges that change lives person, which meant I got to go on these, these tours with this group of 39 other schools. I actually think that was the greatest assignment ever. I was so fun. I loved learning about these schools every night. We'd show up in, you know, San Francisco and then LA, and then maybe we'd we'd hop on over to Texas and go to Dallas and then fun. Austin. Super fun, and it was just forty schools, so the fairs were small. And I should say these fairs still exist. They still do them. Um, my hope is that in a post-COVID world that they they come back in person. They are doing them virtually as well right now. But the greatest part of that was that Lauren Pope, who has since passed away, but at the time, Lauren Pope, the author of that book, actually traveled with us. He went around to these fairs and he spoke every night before the fair started. He spoke to the audiences, which we'd often have standing room only um, audiences in these venues. Um, And he was just a wealth of wisdom. He had these one-liners that he would pull out every night. It'd be a different thing. Sometimes he'd repeat them, but um, I learned so much about what higher education and the college experience should really be about from him. And so I know that was a lot more than he asked for, but, <laughs> um, but that's the genesis of the colleges that change lives group. And so again, even though the book hasn't a, a new version hasn't been published in, a, in quite a bit of time, there are now 44 schools actually that are part of that group and they have a, a really robust website with information about all of those schools too. Yeah, we live in Florida. And and by the way, I appreciate all that detail. I love the yeah. story. And I love that Lauren Pope traveled with you. I think that's super cool. And I would agree going school to school like that and being part of that caravan, I would think that would be fun too. So there's at least one in Florida, the new school. Um, yeah, you have, which, you have two. You have Eckerd also. Oh, Eckerd, is, is that's that, right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so new school is part of the state school system, state university system here in Florida. Are the majority of the colleges that change lives, are are they public or private or is it a pretty even mix? The majority of them are private. So new school is is a little bit of an anomaly, but the majority of them are private schools, but they really vary in, in terms of the kinds of schools that they are, which I think is probably a very, one of the main reasons why Lauren Pope decided to include some of these schools is because they they were different. Um, everything from single gender schools, we've got um, like Agnes Scott, which is an all women's mm. institution to Wabash, which is an all male institution um, and coast to coast. I mean, north, south, east, west, there's schools everywhere. I'll, I'll brag for a minute on my home state. Uh, Ohio has five schools out of the 44 are in Ohio. So wow. <laughs> yeah, but they're, they're, they are different. They really are. And, and as I mentioned, part of my interest in in working in this space and working with kids navigating the school college search process was by standing next to admission representatives every night and hearing them as students came up to their tables at the college fairs talking about their schools and the really interesting things that they had or that they were offering. I thought, oh my goodness, I I, why didn't I know about Evergreen State? Why didn't I know about Cornell College in Iowa and their one class at a time program? You know, there are things like that. And I just, I was so interested in just learning more about all of those places and, and thought that all students should at least know that this exists. As you said, some of the schools have some really unique opportunities or unique things about them. Can you give us kind of a taste of some of those, including Hiram, your school, like what makes them so special? How do they change lives? So I'll, well, I'll start with Hiram because I, like I said, that was my my personal experience. I can maybe mention a little bit about why I I feel like it's included in that that grouping. Um, and I should say that the first book was published right around the t- right before I I came to Hiram, and so it was a a new thing. And uh, when I 
was there at Hiram. It's a small school. And I should say a lot of the schools that are in this book are on the small to medium size. And so a lot of what Lauren Pope talks about in the book and, and why he chose a lot of these schools was about relationships. And so as an example, uh, during my time at Hiram, it was very common for faculty to be working with students one-on-one -on, -one on things, really helping students explore their individual interests as opposed to just, this is what's in the syllabus, let's, let's do this. Um, a, a great after story that I love to share is one of my professors that I had as a student at Hiram, when I graduated, uh, I was getting close to graduation. I knew I was going to be working in the admission office at Hiram upon graduation. And she said, well, what do you, where will you be living You know, while you're doing this? And I said, I'm not so sure yet. And she said, would you like to house sit for me while I teach in Beijing for half of the year? And I said, yes, I would very much love to do that. <laughs> but that was exactly indicative of the kind of relationships that um, I think are life changing. I think faculty and staff members at a college can be people that really do change the trajectory of your life beyond not just serving in the capacity of recommenders for jobs or internships, but you know there are people that can can stay with you and help you in in lots of different ways. And I would say actually half of my faculty that I had as a student at Hiram came to my wedding. I mean, it was like that kind of a thing, you know. But um. Thinking about some of the other schools in terms of really specific things, I mentioned one of the schools that I distinctly remember standing next to at a fair when I first started going on these colleges that changed lives uh, caravan tours was the Evergreen, Evergreen State University in Washington. And that school, it, it, and this is actually one that's very interesting to a lot of students that I talk with, because they actually don't have any majors or minors. Instead, students will choose something called an area of emphasis, which is essentially they talk with faculty members about what do they, what do they really want to do? You know, what is a career? And they kind of shape their major in that way. So I guess some schools might say that's kind of like a, a created major, self-designed major, but they call it an area of emphasis. So that's that's an example. The other thing I, I, I just name dropped a few minutes ago, Cornell College in Iowa, they have a, 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 their program is basically students take one class at a time. You take one class for three and a half weeks, and then you move on to your next class. And so this is great because obviously taking one class, you can really dive deep into whatever that subject area is. And I guess on the reverse side, if you have a class that's required that you're not so thrilled about taking, you're done with it in three and a half <laughs> weeks. Um, so that that's another really interesting one. Um, another one I'll mention is Reed um, College, which is in Oregon. I, I love read for a couple of reasons. But one, uh, when when students are doing a college search and they're trying to identify schools that they are interested in, a lot of times families, I should say, will focus on things like U.S. News and World Reports rankings. Reed College has actually abstained from the rankings uh, for years and years. They don't believe in them. They don't believe that they're a good indicator of the value of an institution. So they don't participate. So if you go to U.S. News and World Reports, you'd never see Reed ranked in there. And it's not because it's not a great school. It's because they said, you know what, we don't we don't believe in that because the the rankings are actually determined by surveys that are distributed. Part of it is surveys to um, higher education leaders who complete those surveys and Reed chooses not to do that. Um, but they also have no grades at Reed. They don't issue any kind of letter grades. So that's that's another interesting thing for some students. Yeah. So those are I love that approach. I love the no grades and I love that they abstain from the report because uh, honestly, I don't give a lick what they say in U.S. News and World Report. To me, it's all about fit. Mm -hmm. And I don't care if you're Ivy League or state school, private school, it doesn't matter. It's whatever I think, whatever's the best fit for the student. Um, and I love that. And I've I've heard of other schools um, like Wayfinding Academy. I interviewed Michelle Jones from there way back early in the podcast. And it's very similar in that you same, you kind of design the program. And I love that concept. I think you said Evergreen's doing it. It's like you're reverse engineering. Mm -hmm. So first you look at what you want to do, and then you look at how you're going to get there, which mm -hmm. is so incredibly valuable. I say this all the time, like from a decision point, career before college, because if you know what your end goal is, I just think you're going to make a better choice mm -hmm. for where you go to school. Yeah. And again, I'm not against college if that's the right fit for you and if it if you need it for your for your career choice. 
this is so interesting to me. So I guess, you know, we as a society are so caught up in the big names and the, you know, the brands and the best, I use air quotes, schools. How do we, how do we get parents and kids to take a closer look at these schools? Or I mean, you're doing it as you advise students, right? But do you think that's happening with other advisors? So I think that college counselors, again, they've got this this book as a resource, but getting it into the right hands of students who would really be interested in these kinds of schools. And I'll give an actual example of this was the very first student that I ever worked with as an independent counselor. I was actually living in Sao Paulo, Brazil, which is a whole whole other podcast episode, I think. Um, But I was living in Sao Paulo and I started working with a student who was interested in transferring from the University of Sao Paulo to a school in the U.S. And what she said to me was that she really wanted what she had seen on movies, a traditional college experience with the campus green and the ability to stay after class and talk with your professor, you know, and all those kinds of things. And what she was describing to me, I thought, you know what, let me start her off with this book. And so I handed her a copy, which I have multiple copies of the book, I should say. I've lent them out over the years. I just keep buying them uh, because it's worth it for me to just hand it over to somebody. And I lent her the copy and our next meeting, she came back and she had put those tabs, those little colorful tabs on probably nine or 10 of the school out of the 40 schools and said, I love all of these. Now, how do I choose which one of these I should should apply to? And I was, I was thrilled. I was over the moon that she was willing to first do a deep dive into the book and actually look at it. And the options that she had chosen in this book were great fit schools for her for lots of different reasons. And I liked that she was looking beyond the names. And truthfully, because she was an international student, her exposure to U.S. colleges and universities were mostly the Ivy, Stanford, MIT schools that were big name schools, as well as some of the flagship schools like the University of California system and the University of Texas. But other than that, she didn't know anything about small private colleges, you know, in general. And so fast forward, she ended up going to Beloit College, which is in Wisconsin. So this this young lady from Sao Paulo, Brazil, which is a massive city, ended up going to Wisconsin and had the very best experience. And she and I have kept in touch over the years. She's graduated many moons ago now, but um, she loved it. And it was exactly what she read in that book, which is the other reason I really like the book. I should mention that is that the descriptors in there, because this is was these were unpaid endorsements. Lauren Pope, when he went around to these schools, he was really looking at it through the lens of a consumer and as a you know prospective student, and he wasn't doing it because he was going to get any kind of kickback from those schools. So they're genuine, and there are interviews with students in those bo- in the book as well, which I think the voice of people who have you know what is the value that they found in those experiences I think is really important too. So, um, yeah. I picked up a book called The Alumni Factor, where they talk to students about the value they got out of the school after they graduated, which I, w- I always think that I agree. I, that student perspective is so important. And I, I love the idea that these colleges that change lives are focused on the mentoring and the relationships with students, which obviously are, are hard to have in big state schools. We live about 15 minutes down the road from University of Central Florida. They have 60,000 students enrolled. It's enormous. And granted, it's mostly the gen ed classes that are really big. And then when you get into your actual major, the classes get smaller. But, you know, if I'm being completely transparent, my son is interested in that school. And I worry (laughs) that he's going to get lost in a sea of students. But Um, We've actually looked at some of these, some of the colleges that change lives and other smaller schools. Hello, and welcome to Guilty Greeny. I feel like we should start off this show by saying it's nearly impossible to be 100% sustainable given the current world we live in. 
how do you eat an elephant one bite at a time? Not a great analogy for a vegetarian, but you know. Say, we're talking uh, about sustainability, <laughs> maybe not the best analogy. Don't eat the elephant is the first rule of the guilty green. <laughs> There's your first challenge of the week. <laughs> Avoid elephants. What they used to call frugal is now considered sustainable. It's such an aha moment. Frugal to sustainable. You can save money and help the planet. That's going to be our new tagline for sure. You can find Guilty Greenie on Apple Podcasts or whichever podcast platform you prefer. And join us in tackling the Guilty Greenie challenges. Until then, stay curiously green. I guess my next question would be about affording them, right? Because most of them are private. And do, are they pretty good about merit? How does that work? And, and also from a, a competitive nature, are they hard to get into? That, those are great questions. From an affordability standpoint, one of the things, and I'd actually, I, I would probably put this as a blanket statement for a lot of uh a lot of private colleges in general, where families often will look at the the sticker price and you know truthfully turn away because they say that's definitely not within our budget. Uh, just anecdotally, I would say with the students I've worked with over the years, many of these schools are incredibly generous with their scholarship money. Uh, I'll give one example, the College of Worcester, which is close to me. It's about an hour from me. Um, I love their transparency with their merit scholarship process. They essentially, when students visit or inquire, if you're asking about scholarships, they have somewhat of a matrix that they use uh, to show you here's where you are in our, you know, so if you apply, this is what you might expect. So many schools don't pull that curtain back until after you've gone through the process, which is really frustrating. I think as a, you know, as a parent and as a student, I want to know before I start getting my heart and mind set on a place, is this even going to work for us financially? Can we even swing that? And so I've, I've loved when schools like that We'll show that information up front so families can really decide whether or not that's that's going to be doable. And I would say just I'll put one insert one state or opinion of my own is that I really wish that parents would have more of the conversation about more conversations about affordability with their kids. I think that that's an unfortunate thing when that doesn't happen and kids go through the process and they get to March or April and they're trying to make decisions. And then, you know, the, the family says, you know what, this, it's not going to work. And it wasn't going to work from the beginning, but they just felt like that wasn't a conversation they wanted to put on their kids. But I think it's really important. I think kids didn't need to know the financial impact and, um, that this is a huge investment. So, but going back to your question, um, I, I had a student a handful of years ago who essentially narrowed down their choices. I mentioned the Ohio State University, which is you know my state flagship school, and uh, between OSU and Allegheny College, which is in Pennsylvania. And they were really hesitant. The family was hesitant because of the sticker price between the two. You're you know a state school versus an out of state private school. Um, and Allegheny was going to be leaps and bounds less expensive than, than our state school. And had they not actually gone through the process, they actually did a net price calculator. They talked with somebody from, from the financial aid office and figured all this out early on. But And that was why the, the family went through the process. So I'd say just in general, with private colleges, not just the colleges that change lives, but I think it's always worth doing those net price calculators and also having a conversation early on in the process about the affordability piece. Um, and then you asked about selectivity. Some of these schools are more selective than others. I will say that some of them admit closer to maybe 80% of their applicants and some maybe it's more around 40 or 50%, some maybe 30, but you're not going to find, you know, the even schools where it's a single digit, you know, acceptance rate. These are schools that really practice holistic admission processes, you know, when they're reviewing applications. And I know that's a buzzword right now, especially during uh, the pandemic. A lot of schools said, you know, we're, we're practicing holistic admission because we don't have test scores necessarily that we're looking for. But the reality is most of these schools, if not all of them, they weren't just looking at GPA and test score before anyway. So it, it, it was always about holistic uh, review, which means looking at not only is this a student who can hang academically, you know, in our school, but is it someone that's going to be a, a good member of our community? Because community is something that's so important at these, you know, mid-sized to smaller schools. And 
you, you, they can tell that whether that's through an admission interview or maybe they meet you at your high school during a school visit. Um, they take note of those things. And, and so I'm not say, I'm not going to say that those will, that kind of stuff doesn't negate poor grades, you know, but, um, but it's certainly if a student is borderline, if the school feels like, you know what, this is a student we can, you know, that we think will be a good member of our community and will probably thrive here, then they'll take a chance. That's good to know. I'm, I'm going to go back to that list with my son now and I'm going to make him do a wider search because I just think if nothing else, I think kids need to open their minds and parents too, right? Because mm-hmm. let's be honest, a lot of this is about the parents and the influence they have and the, I went to school X, therefore, you know, we want you to go to school X and that's a whole other podcast episode. And I think that just real quickly, Betsy, I think a huge part of that is, um, and I'm a parent, I should say that, but my kids are young. I've got 10 year old triplets. So take that in for a minute. Um, and you know, when, when I'm going through this process, I'm hoping my tune doesn't change because I really believe that part of the issue here is that, especially in the age of social media, I see this with my friends who have teenagers right now and a parent will post about their high school senior. And immediately the questions are, well, what are they doing? Where are they going? You know, and and there is this expectation that the name that you share of the institution where your child is going better be recognizable. It better be a place that, you know, that is going to basically earn approval in those spaces. Um, and that that's a problem because, again, that that keeps kids from being from pursuing schools that might actually be a much better academic fit, social fit, financial fit. I mean, there are also families that take, you know, it is they will take financial risks because of just wanting to pursue a name. And so one of the things I often will show students, and this is great and something your listeners can actually look up, um, Harvard Law School actually, every year on their website, they provide a list of the schools where their new law students have done their undergraduate studies. It's almost maybe 150 schools that are on that list every year. And so I'll have families, if they're starting to get hung up on the name piece and, well, does, does this mean that my, you know, if my child goes to um, Denison University or my child goes to um, insert, you know, insert name of other college that changes lives, um, does this mean that their chances of admission to med school, law school, business school, you, you name it, um, will be less than if they went to insert name of highly selective name brand school. So I'll show them that list and I'll say, listen, if these schools, and, and I will say on that list, you will find nearly all of the colleges that change lives, which is also a great, you know, great, um, a great uh, data point. But I'll say, you know, if Harvard Law School believes that the education that those students received at these schools is good enough to, to do well at Harvard Law School and to be admitted to Harvard Law School, I think it's okay. Uh, and there's, you know, there's a great book and you might've, you might've had folks talk about this book on your podcast before, but if, if people listening aren't familiar with the book, uh, where you go is not who you'll be by Frank Bruni, you yeah. have to pick it up, pick it up and read it. Um, you know, it will change some people's minds. Others will never be swayed, but I, I love that book. And I've similarly to the colleges that change lives book. I've handed that book out to people as well, because I really believe in the message that you can certainly you can go somewhere that has a very strong name brand. Um, and that's great. And those places are right for a lot of kids, but not everybody. But you can go to one of those places and you know what you'll get? You will get a diploma. What you do with that afterwards is what dictates what happens next. Your right. diploma may get you an interview somewhere, you know, putting that on your resume that you graduated from XYZ University. But it does not mean that you have a direct path to Wall Street or direct path to working at Apple or to working wherever. It's what you do with it. And I think those relationships at some of these colleges that change lives that students build with their faculty members, if you're asking for a letter of recommendation or a reference, boy, do those faculty members know you. And that testimonial can get you really far. You know, that's and that's really important, too. Yeah, it's what it's not necessarily where you go. that won't determine who you'll be, but it's also not where you go, but what you do when you get there. Right. And, and with these smaller colleges that change lives, you have more opportunity for engagement and interaction with faculty in particular. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah. And I think, you know, when internship opportunities are presented, for example, at one of these schools, let's say they hear about some kind of an opportunity, those those opportunities don't automatically go to upperclassmen or grad students. It's sometimes freshmen, you know, sometimes it's, oh, gosh, I've just had this student in my intro class in the fall. And this, you know, person is looking for an intern for next summer. The, I think that, again, the opportunity to build those relationships, I think, is, is, is one of the reason that those, those schools change lives, you know, and thinking about a school like, for example, Reed, they're the only school in the country, I love this random fun fact, they're the only one in the entire country that has a nuclear reactor on campus that is actually staffed by undergraduate students, meaning it's the only one. And so who gets to say that? You know, um, not I mean, I'm sorry, but that makes me a little bit nervous. Yeah, a little bit. <laughs> but you know what? They're doing a good job because we haven't heard anything negative <laughs> about it, right? So, um, but like things like that where undergrads get an opportunity, I think that's another reason why when Lauren Pope was choosing these schools, he he wanted to make sure that it wasn't just you know this a, a very sub select group of students that were getting opportunities to do things and. Um, I, one of my favorite sound bites from him, and I've, I've shared this with families all the time, is when you're looking at colleges and is you should be looking at them very much like you would a hospital. And this, again, this is a Lauren Pope original, not a Christina Dooley original. But what he would say is don't look at colleges, you know, based on what kinds of stats the incoming class has, their average test scores, average GPAs, um, what you should be looking at are the outcomes, just like you would at a hospital. You would never judge a hospital and how great it is by how sick the patients are coming in. It's what happens when they're done with what, you know, what's happened during their time there. So I think if you look at, if you look at these colleges that change lives, you'll see they, they can say that they've got Rhodes Scholars, Gates Millennium Scholars. They've got everything, Fulbrights. I mean, they're, they're not, um, they, they, they have the, the, they have the stats to back it up, you know, to back up what they're doing. That's a really, really good point. And outcomes in some cases are hard to find with some mm-hmm. schools, as I've I've talked about on the podcast before too, um, because I keep saying, I wish there was a report of, you know, because you can find out, you know, grad, retention rates and graduation rates and all that. But I want to know five years out of college, how many students are, out of debt, no more student loan, how many are working in the field for the degree that they got, you know, all the things that, and I know are impossible data points to collect, but I would love to see that kind of data. When you talk about outcomes, I, I think about that all the time. This is so interesting and super helpful. Um, do you have any more like random data points or secrets to share? Because I love yeah. that kind of stuff. Well, you, you know, you're talking, talking about outcomes. I, and I agree. I would say, Betsy, one of the pieces of advice I'd say to parents in terms of that information, that's really hard to find, whether that's talking about scholarship stuff or talking about outcomes, is ask. Because I think sometimes people are hesitant to to dig deep and ask questions when they're going through the process, it's really important to remember that you're the consumer, you know, like you're the one that's purchasing the product. And so the colleges should be sharing that information with you and it would benefit them. But um, what I was going to say was one of the things I love and I, about going on college visits and learning about colleges and is that I, whenever I go on a visit, one of the questions I always, well, actually I should say two. One is I always ask about traditions because I feel like that's something that's really telling about a campus environment. You know, what is important to the students so much that it's lasted for decades, you know, or, you know, for years and years, what's important to the, to this population here. Um, the other thing is I always ask about who are the graduates that you, you are so proud of, you know, what are they doing? Sometimes that's, Celebrity. You know, sometimes those are celebrities, politicians. You know, for example, if you go to uh, Denison, which I mentioned earlier, is a college that changes lives. You know, they're certainly going to tell you that Michael Eisner, who was the CEO of Disney, is a graduate of Denison, as well as Michael Scott or uh, Steve Carell, if <laughs> those who love The Office. Um, they have people like that. But also, what I love is when you visit some of these schools, they'll tell you about students who've gone on to do things like in recent years, five to 10 years out, not graduates from 20 or 30 years ago, they're focusing on their peers who they probably even know, you know, and they can say, oh my gosh, my hallmate from last year is now doing this. And so ask those questions of your tour guide, you know, what are the, what are the outcomes that 
not just are in your your uh, admission view book, you know, that everyone knows about, but what are some of your recent graduate friends doing? And I think that's so important, um, again, to tell just like what you said, are they doing what they, what the school is not promising, but what you're expecting they're going to provide, you know, is this opportunity to do things within their major field um, when they graduate. So, yeah. You are such a great resource for families. So let's get a little more general before we wrap up, if you don't mind. Um, Mm -hmm. So what's your best piece or pieces of advice for families who are starting the college search process? I think one of the things that is really important for families as they're starting the college search process is to look at the process as a journey as opposed to a destination. I know that sounds so cliche, uh, but I really, I have parents sometimes who tell me that they go through this process with their child and they learn a ton about them from going through this journey. And even if it's sitting in the car, driving to a college visit three hours away, some of those have been the very best moments in their lives with their teen, which, you know, it's sometimes hard to get your teen to sit and have a conversation with you for that long. So that's really important. But I'd say look at it as, you know, add some fun to it. You know, don't just think about the stressful getting in piece. You know, the getting in is one part of it. But I think um, the the process leading up to it, um, learning, I guess, revisiting all of the, the joy of their life going up to this point, but also things like activities and honors and celebrations, which are all things that you put on the application. Um, but the other thing I would say, and this is more parent advice, and this is based on my experience working with with hundreds of students over the years and families, I should say, because it is really a family process is I really wish parents would celebrate the wins with their kids, as opposed to, again, feeling like it's a competition that they are competing in. And I mentioned that earlier about having to, you know, say where your child is going to school. Well, as you mentioned earlier, a four-year degree is not for everyone. I celebrate when I see friends of mine who say, you know what, my son is has a has an apprenticeship, is going to go and do this, or they're going to go to the community college, or they're going to go on to cosmetology school because they realize they really would love to do that and open a salon. You know, I, I think celebrating those wins and being proud of your child um, and outwardly proud and making sure they know that as well, because sometimes I think students, even mom and dad can be incredibly proud of their child, but sometimes they, the student doesn't know that. They feel like they're again, trying to meet expectations that sometimes are not their own. You know, they're, they're trying to maybe the parent, they feel like they're trying to do what mom and dad really want them to do. And it's not where their heart is. So I think celebrating all of those wins and just knowing that the, again, that the process shouldn't, shouldn't be stressful. That's an easy thing for me to say. It starts to feel stressful. Take a step back and evaluate what you're doing and, you know, where, how can we break this up into small steps? You know, identifying schools, that's the beginning stages, obviously. Um, and then, again, enjoy the process in, in, along the way. So I know that was like a, a lot of different things, you know, not necessarily one piece of advice. But um, I love, again, I, lo- I love, for me, my my husband laughs because my, my birthday is in December. And a, a lot of colleges, as you probably know and have heard, now have early deadlines. So they'll have early action, early decision deadlines. And a lot of the notifications come out in December, early December. And he laughs at me because during that time I get texts and I say, oh, this is a great birthday gift. You know, this is a great birthday <laughs> gift. But um, but the very best ones are the ones where I can tell just the pride um that my students feel when they are accepted, not just to the most selective school on their list, but sometimes it's, you know, the school that really in their heart is the one that they really want to go to. And so I can tell that from those experiences and then getting a subsequent text from mom or dad or caregiver who says, I'm really proud of them. And I say, tell them that, you know, make sure that they, they know that and celebrate, you know, celebrate those wins along the way. Oh, great advice. You are clearly passionate and enthusiastic and good at your job. I've never seen you do your actual job, but I can tell just by talking to you. Um, so do you serve families all over the country? Are you regional? How, I know people are going to want to reach out to you. Um, how, how does it, and share your, where you want to be found. 
Yeah, that's a great question. So I actually, we have a, I, I, my business is called Estrella Consulting, which if, if I mentioned earlier that I started doing this work while living in Sao Paulo, Brazil. Estrella is actually the, the Portuguese word for star. So when I started, I was working primarily with Brazilian students like my one who went to Beloit. Um, and now I'm back in Ohio, which is where I'm from. But we have a team of eight of us actually in multiple states. So we work remotely with students around the world. We work with international students, domestic students, um, non-traditional age students, all kinds of students, um, which I love. Actually, that's one of the reasons I like what I do is because it's cyclical, meaning every, you know, every year I have a new batch of students with different interests. Um, I, we, nothing that our, this list of schools, for example, where our students are accepted every year, it changes every single year. And, uh, you know, this past year, for example, we had students accepted to more than 175 different colleges. So um, globally, we even, inter you know, some international institutions, but in order, I would say in, in terms of finding us or learning more, um, certainly our website, estrellaconsulting.com, it's Estrella with one L, because again, it's the Portuguese word for a star, um, is the, the best place. But we have an e-newsletter that we send out twice a month where we always have great content for families. Um, our goal is to try to alleviate some of that stress and, and again, remind people to enjoy that journey. And so subscribing to our e newsletter is really easy on our website. And I would encourage any anyone listening to start off there. And then if you're interested in learning more, we offer a free consultation for families where you can meet one of us and, uh, and learn more about what we how we can help you. You know, we don't do, I, I, it's one of the misconceptions is that, you know, we'd, we would basically do the whole process for the student in terms of applications and filling things in and writing essays. And that's completely <laughs> different than what we do. We support the students. We make sure they're on time with everything they need to do. And we, and most importantly, as this conversation has focused on, we help them find fit. And that's so important. I mean, that's the beginning part is finding the right places to apply and then going through that process. Yeah, I would say that that's the most important part, finding the right fit. Are you guys on social media at all? We are. Yeah, we're on. We're pretty much on all platforms except for Snapchat and TikTok. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yes, we have we have a Facebook page where we share lots of information every day, and it's Estrella Consulting. If you just look on Facebook, or if you're a LinkedIn your user, we've got a LinkedIn account as well under Estrella Consulting. Um, I like to tweet with college presidents and college admission people, so you can also find us on on Twitter, and then we've got some really useful Pinterest boards even on everything from oh, non ramen college food to <laughs> Um, show me the money, college aid and scholarships. You know, we have all kinds of information there. So yeah, we're we're on all those different platforms, and we we are on Instagram. We share share pictures of our campus visits and lots of other good information on there too. Uh, all good. I will put all of these links in the show notes as well as colleges that change lives and everything else we mentioned. I'm going to ask you one more question. Yeah. Um, if you could go back to high school and give Christina one piece. High school, Christina, one piece of advice, what would you tell yourself? I would probably tell myself to, even though I feel like I took advantage of a lot of the opportunities um, in my actual college experience, I don't think I did that in high school, to be honest. I was very active in my high school and um, I was the president of my class, but I don't feel like I took advantage of relationships with teachers and, um, and enjoying that time. I was, I, you know, I felt a little pressure to, you know, to be the first, like I said, first in my family to go to college, even though the process wasn't as nearly as overwhelming as it is for students now, but I still, I didn't know what I was doing, you know? So, it was, um, so I think maybe my advice to myself would have been to enjoy uh, my, my time in high school, even though, I mean, a lot of teenagers just don't like it, you know, they just can't wait to be done, but I True. would have actually taken more advantage of building relationships with my teachers. I, it sounds really strange saying that, but I, I really think that I look back at some of the people that I had the opportunity to take classes with as a high school student and wish I would have gotten to know them more or wish I would have learned more from them in, in terms of not just classroom content, but who they were as people, because I did do that in college. And that for me, again, was life-changing for my experience at Hiram with my professors, again, who I, I count today as, as friends, you know, and people that I go to even now, decades after college, I'm still in touch with many of them. And um, which, you know, again, so I think going back and telling students that they can, you know, telling myself it's okay to, you know, build relationships now, start that now. 
Great, great advice. Thank you so, so much for being here. I really enjoyed this conversation and learned a lot. I'm sure my listeners will too. And I really appreciate you spending the time with me. Thank you so much for having me. This was great. Thanks, Betsy. Well, that was an eye-opening discussion. These colleges that change lives sound amazing. I wish I knew about them earlier. I hope my conversation with Christina brings more awareness to these amazing programs and benefits that these schools offer. Choosing a highly selective and or big brand name college might be the right choice for some, but for those looking for a smaller environment with the opportunity for mentorship, I think these sound like a really good fit. And from what Christina said, they offer generous merit, so hopefully they won't break the bank. I've said this before and I'll say it again, my two cents for what it's worth. I think the absolute best school for each of our kids is the school that is the best fit for them. Whether it's a big school or a small school, public or private, Ivy or not, the goal should always be to find the best fit for what our kids need as individuals. It doesn't matter what the official rankings say, and we shouldn't care where our friends' kids are going to college. We should be supporting our kids' choices no matter what those choices are. It's their journey, and we are just along for the ride. Thanks so much for tuning in today. I'm glad you're here, and I'd be grateful if you would follow or subscribe to the High School Hamster Wheel podcast in your favorite podcast player. I welcome your feedback and would love to hear any ideas you have for future episodes. All links and references mentioned in this episode can be found in the show notes at highschoolhamsterwheel.com slash 81. Be sure to follow the High School Hamster Wheel podcast on Facebook and join me and my co-host Jay Dusold in our Life After 12th Facebook group, where we provide support and encouragement for parents of career-confused teens and 20-somethings. I'll be back soon with another episode of the High School Hamster Wheel podcast. You know, a lot can happen in seven minutes, and luckily, that's how long it takes me to tell a story. My name is Aaron Calafato, and I'm the creator of 7-Minute Stories. I'm proud to partner with Evergreen Podcasts, and I'd like to invite you to join me on this journey. I'm going to take you on some crazy roller coaster rides using my unique extemporaneous storytelling style, and together, we're going to try to make sense of the world, all through the art of storytelling, and all in approximately seven minutes.